We're not, we're not home yet, are we? We don't understand all of the stuff that happens in this life, but we do know that God's going to use it to work together for good. Amen. Open your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter number 4. Speaking about those difficulties and things that are hard to understand, wow, this chapter is loaded with that kind of thought. Brother Ron Thomas called from Garland the other day and asked if I would come and preach in the missions conference from this particular chapter, not this message, but out of some different verses, a different thought, and I said I'd be delighted to because at this stage of my life, this is probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. And the more you study it, I think the more you would see the reason why, because not only the things that we go through, but the way that it all ends. And uh, it all ends in glory. Grief here, but glory there. You know, the the sad part of it is that a lot of folks are going to miss the boat. A lot of folks don't have any idea what we're talking about when we speak about the blessings of the Lord and the assurance of heaven and knowing that our sins have been forgiven and uh, that's all something foreign to them. And uh, we're going to see why this morning. If you'll notice in verse number 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Well, there's your answer. The God of this world has blinded their minds. I learned a long time ago that it's best to give Satan as little attention as possible. I'm not going into detail as to how I learned that lesson, by the way, but just let it be said that we need to keep our attention on Christ rather than on Satan and the evil of this world. But that being said, there are times when it is absolutely necessary for us to consider what the Bible teaches about our enemy. And make no mistake about it, he is real. Sometimes we wonder, how in the world did the world get in such a a horrible, terrible condition? And uh, we look around us and we're mystified. We think about... Here in America, with all of our glorious heritage, we think about all of our great resources. We think about all of the reasons why we ought to remain the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And yet we see the foundations crumbling and we wonder what in the world is going on. Let me tell you, the problem is not a political problem. It is a spiritual problem. And our text here this morning tells us how it is possible for the world to get in this kind of a condition. 
I want to remind you of the devil's purpose, his plan, and his power. And what Paul said, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of dark, the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. We see the greatness of his power in Revelation 12 and verse 9 where it says there that he deceiveth the whole world. You see, the devil's not only strong, the devil is smart. And in order to accomplish his goal, he employs deception rather than denial. The Bible says that even Satan believes that there is one God. He understands that. He knows that. And he also understands that he can get a greater advantage over us not by denying the existence of God, but by deceiving us. Satan knows full well that the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Satan doesn't need to do anything to get the advantage over the fool. The fool has come to a conclusion that ultimately will bring about his condemnation. Satan doesn't need to take any action against him. He said there is no God in a condition like that. There's no hope for heaven. It's those who recognize the possibility of a God that impose a threat against Satan. Lest they find the way. And because of that, he employs as his main tool deception. And he's been doing it since the very beginning. There in Revelation 12, it says he deceiveth the whole world. Well, how could he possibly do that? He does it by substituting the gospel, his own gospel, for the true and the living gospel. In other words, it's a salvation by works. It's something that we do for ourselves rather than something that God does for us. He would have us to take the blood out of our religion, the cross out of our hope. You you see, whenever we think about Satan and him trying to destroy us, normally we think about Satan using alcohol and drugs and sex and all of those other things, and we think about him coming to us in those forms. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now listen carefully. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, and therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works." You see, Satan is much more likely to come to us with a clerical collar on than he is with a bottle of liquor in his hands. And if he in some way can cause us to embrace a a false hope based on his teaching that man through his own efforts can some way get to heaven, then he has won the battle. And whenever Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he recognized 
the danger of this. And he said in chapter 11, verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then he said in verse number 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, Prove your own selves, and know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. You see, Paul recognized the possibility of deception in that church. He did not just assume that everybody in the church was saved. I think sometimes a lot of people get upset whenever the preacher mentions something to imply the possibility that maybe some of the members have never been saved. You ought to thank God the preacher does that, because I'm telling you right now, not all of the members of any church that I've ever been in have truly trusted Christ as their Savior. There will always be those that are deceived. Their intention might be good, but they have been deceived by Satan to trust in something other than the shed blood of Christ. And I want you to notice how he warned them in 1 Corinthians, in his first letter in chapter number 6. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now notice, be not deceived. And he goes on and he begins to give us a list of sins that are characteristic of people that are unsaved. And he said, none of those people shall inherit the kingdom of God. And yet we live in a generation today where people have the idea that you can be a child of God and just live in any of those sins. Paul said, don't you be deceived about that. So as he's writing to this church about the devil's deception, understand that he knows full well the possibility of that being true among some of those in that very church to whom he is writing. I hope you took time this morning to read the article in the pastor's pen because I wrote that for a reason as well as the morning manna for this morning, if you didn't have time to read it, I hope you will when you get home. They all deal with the same issue, and that's the issue of being deceived about your salvation. There are those that have made a profession of faith whenever they were young, and yet at that point they did not fully understand what it was all about, and some of the other kids made a profession of faith, and so they thought it would be a good idea. After all, you know, nobody wants to go to hell, right? And so they walk down the aisle to shake the preacher's hand, say they want to be baptized and join the church, and leave the impression that they've really been saved, and yet they've never even really come under the true conviction of their sinfulness. And then as the years go by, suddenly something happens. It might be church camp. It might be a revival meeting, it might be a tragedy in the family, but eventually something happens and the Holy Spirit is working in their heart to the extent that finally they realize, hey, I, I've never really been saved. 
And it's always a wonderful thing whenever we see someone come to that knowledge of their true spiritual condition and finally accept Christ as their Savior. We're speaking this morning about the devil's delusion, and I'm going to give you the short version by giving you one verse to hang on to. Proverbs 14 and verse number 12 Solomon said, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice, the end thereof are the ways of death. This way of which Solomon speaks could be called the devil's delusion. And whatever you call it, it's the wrong way. There are two lines of thought here, and then there's one other point that I want to make before we end. But notice, he says, there is a way that seemeth right. Notice the expectation of the way. Now, whatever the way is, it is a way that is contrary to the truth. It is a way that is in line with what Satan is doing. It is a way that ultimately is going to lead to death and not to salvation. He says, it seemeth right. You could debate with these people about the way that they have chosen, and in their mind, it seems right, and they will debate it till the sun goes down. They just know they're saved. They know they'd go to heaven if they die. They just have that assurance, that feeling, or whatever it is. And they're basing all of their hopes on the way that they feel or what somebody told them rather than what the Bible really says. You see, this way seems right. Just because it seems right doesn't make it right. This way also might use words or phrases from the Bible. Do you realize that every cult uses some part of the Bible in order to justify what they're teaching? They might take some part of the Bible that the true churches are neglecting, and so they'll take that part of the Bible and put a great emphasis upon something to be their drawing card to attract people to come in. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that had joined with the Mormons, all because they said, we wanted to be a Mormon because they really respect the family and teach that, you know, you're to honor the family and put a strong emphasis on the family. Now let me let me ask you a question. What good is it going to do you to have a real strong, close-knit family and all die and go to hell together? You, you see, that's not going to help you one bit. But when we talk about the devil's delusion, understand that he's going to design his scheme, his plan in such a way that it will appeal to your human nature. And it might be seen as one of many different ways. You'd be surprised if you knew how many people really believed that there are a lot of different ways to heaven. It would shock you how many so-called Baptists believe that there are more than one way in order to get to heaven. 
And so the way that you choose might be a way that is seen as just one way among many different ways, or it might be a way that is very popular. You know, we just decide, okay, I'm going to be a religious person. I want to go to heaven whenever I die. I'm going to adopt some particular brand of religion. I'm going to become a part of some denomination. And so I'll just choose the one that has the, you know, the largest group of people. After all, you know, they surely they must be right. They're in the majority. Or it might be that the way that you have chosen is not necessarily the most popular way, but it might be a way of a family tradition. Well, you know, I'm a Baptist because, you know, Grandpa was a Baptist or Grandma was a Baptist or whatever it was. And people just decide they'll become whatever they were because after all, you know, as sweet as Grandma was, she surely couldn't be wrong. Well, my grandmother was wrong. She was a Pentecostal holiness. And I'm telling you, she was wrong. She had no idea what it was to think about, you know, having eternal security. I'm glad whenever the Lord saved me, He saved me for eternity. Don't you dare... Adopt some way with the hopes that it'll get you to heaven just because it was good enough for grandma and grandpa. They might have been wrong. Not only that, but this way might be some means to get gain. You'd be shocked if you knew how many people adopt a particular religion because of the manner in which they profit from it. I heard the report, in fact, I had read it earlier this morning and heard it again a while ago that Donald Trump had made a profession of faith and it comes from a great source. And so, you know, I tend to believe Dr. James Dobson, who's a great guy, I tend to believe him. I hope that report is true. I really do. And I'm not going to disbelieve it. I just hope and pray that it's really true. And this is not an accusation that Donald Trump has made a profession of faith in order to get gains. But I'm telling you, there are people that do that. There are people that brag about being a a Christian. Boy, I could really get political here, couldn't I? I could go back a few years and do it too run on the platform that I'm a Christian, I couldn't do anything wrong, I'll be the greatest president you ever had, and you end up being the worst. Somebody said, you got to be careful because this is our first broadcast going out by video today, and it is. So there are people in other places listening, and so, you know, uh, I'm not too worried about that really. As long as I preach the truth, if they don't like it, they can lump it. I, I, I can't help what they... Amen. And it doesn't make any difference. Listen, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whoever you are. And it's that kind of nonsensical thinking and in our pluralistic society where we got to be politically correct about everything... That carries over into our attitude toward religion 
And we get this idea that it really doesn't matter what we believe. As long as we're sincere, you know, that, that, you know, it doesn't make any difference because after all, it's the way that we've chosen and it's just as good as what somebody else might choose. Now notice what he said. He says, there's a way that seemeth right. And yet it might be miles away from the truth. Well, let me tell you, listen, it might be very close to the truth. Very close. But we're not playing horseshoes and close don't count. Somebody says, well, you know, there's not much difference between you Baptist and, you know, and whoever else. Yeah, you know, you're really close to what you believe. Close isn't good enough. This is one thing we've got to be right about. There's a way that seems right, but notice the end of this way. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Whatever else might be said about this way of which we've been speaking, the end thereof are the ways of death. So that means, now listen carefully, that means... That no one of these ways is better than another one of these ways. Because none of these ways of which he is speaking, none of them grant forgiveness. None of them deliver us from sin. None of them will get us into heaven. Did you ever stop and think that of all the man-made religions, they're all basically the same? Whether you're talking about somebody being a Catholic, a Mormon, or whatever. And, and isn't it amazing that we think about, well, boy, I'd rather be a Catholic than I would to be a Muslim. Or, or you know, I, I'd, I'd rather be a Mormon than I would to be a Hindu. I mean... Look, if they don't get you into heaven, what's the difference? There's absolutely no difference. There might be a difference in some of the things that you believe. There might be a difference in some of the ceremonies that you go through. There might be a difference in the terminology that you use in regards to your religious beliefs. But there's no difference if it's the wrong way. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Being wrong about heaven leads to death. And please understand, when we talk about this death, we're talking about a spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. You know, it wouldn't be quite so bad... Now, please think this through. I, I wouldn't want to miss heaven for anything in all of the world, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be quite, quite so bad as it is if, if we just lived and we died. And like some people have said, they said, you know, I, I believe we're just going to die like a dog and go back to the dust of the earth, and that's all over. There will be no sense of consciousness. We won't know anything. That will just be the end of it. There are some people that have ended their lives with that kind of thinking. The problem with that is that it's wrong. 
Because you will never lapse into some state of unconsciousness. Death doesn't end it all. You will spend eternity somewhere, heaven or hell, one of the two. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But wait a minute, the Bible says that we all die physically. So he's not speaking here about physical death. He's speaking about a spiritual death, which is separation from God for all of eternity. That's what makes hell so terrible. It's not the flames of fire. It's not the company we keep. It's not all of the awful things that could be said about how we suffer in hell. The worst part of it is that we'll be separated from God forever and ever and ever. There's a way. And it seems right. It might be popular, it might be family tradition, it might be something that will get you great gain in this world. It feels so good that you enjoy it. It seems right, but the end thereof, and you better think about the end of it. The end thereof are the ways of death. So that brings us to the air of the way. It's bound to be the wrong way if that's the end result, right? It implies we have chosen the wrong way. We have erred in our judgment. Satan has deceived us into believing that the way that we've chosen is the right way when in reality it's not at all. So what is the way? John 14 and verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. And I want you to notice, he said, I am the way. He didn't say that, he didn't say, you know, I, I am a way, as though there are many different ways. You know, if he is just a way to heaven then it would not have been necessary for him to come into this world and suffer and bleed and die. That would have made no sense at all. That would have made God as cruel as you can get. Who would subject their own son to such senseless, needless suffering as that had there been another way? So he didn't say, I am a way, as though there are many. He said, I am the way. And let me tell you, if he's not, if he's not the way, then he is a liar, and a liar is nobody's Savior. Right? He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. If that's not true... He's a liar. He's, listen, he's either Lord or he's a liar, one of the two. Because he made no bones about it. That's why the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. He's not one of many ways. He is the only way. 
If you choose anything else other than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, then you are under the delusion of the devil himself. He has deceived you. I'm so glad that these folks that have recently been saved, that I think probably the majority of them had already made professions of faith. You know, I am so glad that they come to the realization that they needed to be saved before it was too late. Wouldn't it have been horrible if they'd been killed in an automobile accident out here somewhere and we have their funeral service? And here we have the service and we celebrate their life and we all imagine that they're all there in heaven and rejoicing with the saints when in reality they'd be in torment in hell. How awful that would be. But what about you? What about you? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died today that you'd go to be with the Lord? How do you know? Because it had better be according to the truth, not according to tradition, not according to the way you feel about it. You say, well, I just really feel good about my religion. I like my chances. I just feel like uh, I'll go to heaven when I die. You better have some basis for that conclusion. I know I'm going to heaven like I've often said, and I believe this, and I hope you don't take it wrong. If I don't go to heaven, it's God's fault, not mine. And I say that because, not because, you know, that I, that, that, that I am so smart or so good or anything. It, to the contrary, I'm not smart, I'm not good. But I did exactly what God told me to do. And that is that if I would put my trust in His Son, that He would save my soul. I did that. I, what more do I need to do? And I'm depending fully upon God to keep His Word. And the Bible says He can't lie. He can't lie. The devil comes to you, you know, with all of his lies trying to convince you that you're not really saved. You need to tell him he is a liar and God has promised eternal life to all who will trust in His dear Son. And whenever you've done that, you've got no reason to, to doubt and wonder whether you're saved or not. I heard a preacher several years ago made, made the statement in regards to... In fact, in fact, he'd written a book. I won't tell his name or anything. He's a friend of mine, but he wrote a book and uh, he made the statement, you know, that it was just natural to doubt your salvation. Everybody has their doubts. Baloney. I don't believe a word of that. I don't think it's normal whatsoever to doubt your salvation. And I can honestly say as I stand here today that there's never been a second since the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior that I've doubted, that I've wondered whether I'm saved or not. Good night. If we're saved by grace through what? Through faith. Well, how in the world am I going to turn around and doubt if I'm Saved through faith. I mean, the two don't go together. There's no reason for you to doubt your salvation if you're truly a child of God. You shouldn't doubt your salvation. 
And I'm so glad when I look back that I know that I chose the right way because that way was Christ. But what about you? Several years ago, there was a a fellow that made his claim to fame climbing skyscrapers. Uh, The public gave him the nickname, the human fly. This guy could just scale the wall of almost anything. It was amazing. And he'd climb up these walls without the aid of ropes and scaffolding or anything like that. But one day he fell to his death. Whenever they went over to his lifeless body and they opened up his hand, they found a big glob of cobwebs. You see, what he thought was mortar was actually cobwebs. He had grabbed onto something and was clinging to something that looked good. It seemed right, but it cost him his life. What, what are you clinging to? Let me tell you, salvation is not about clinging to anything. It's about you being in the hand of the Lord. He's clinging to you. And you get in that position by simply trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. By believing that. If we believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. It's it's that simple and it's that serious because there's no room for error. It's not believe in this or it's not believe in that. It's simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it or it'll be like the human fly with his handful of cobwebs. It'll end up costing you your life. Don't let that happen. Don't let the devil deceive you. There's a way that seems right, but the end is the ways of death. Let's all stand together. We're going to extend an invitation to you here this morning. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, we encourage you to do so. If you're here today and you do not know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you'd go to be with the Lord if you died today, would you come and let us take the Word of God and show you how you can have a no-so kind of salvation? Uh, No doubt about it, the kind that you can put your head on the pillow at night and know that if you don't wake up in the morning, that it's because you'll be in heaven. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful provision that you've made through the shed blood of your own dear son. And I pray this morning if there are those here that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they might do so today. Heavenly Father, if there's someone today that have made a profession of faith and maybe they feel embarrassed to be honest and to admit that that it was not a real, true, honest, to goodness profession that perhaps they didn't understand all that was involved in the gospel of Jesus Christ for some reason Satan deceived them into thinking that their choice would be sufficient and I just pray the Holy Spirit might awaken their heart as to their true condition and that they'd truly be born again here this morning open our eyes Lord 
May we trust Him who never fails. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Now as we 